please be seated. When I was growing up, one of the strongest personalities in our country was Muhammad Ali, the great boxer. And I will long remember his press conference when, and you may recall it as well, when he announced to the world, I'm a bad man. I'm a bad man. Well, I thought of that phrase because that's really the only way I can describe to you King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He's a bad man. 600 years before Jesus, and he rules everything he can see or touch, and then some. Babylon rules the biblical world and and much of the world itself. And they have enslaved the Jews um, after they destroyed the Jewish temple uh, about 586 years uh, before Jesus. And so what you need to know about Nebuchadnezzar is this bad man... Uh, was extremely powerful as he ruled so much uh, territory. But he was also amazingly rich. Uh, Daniel tells us that he constructed or had built a 90-foot tall statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, made completely of gold, uh, of a god for people to worship. He was amazing. He was also shall we say, volatile, uh, temperamental. The book of Daniel tells us that once King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, he couldn't interpret the dream, so he called in his wise men to interpret the dream. And when they couldn't do it, he ordered that they all be executed. But before that could take place, a Jewish man, a, a wise young man named Daniel, came to the front. And Daniel was able to interpret the dream. And as payment for that, though, Daniel asked that these other wise men not be executed. Because even though they worshipped a different God, what they all had in common is that they were human beings. And so Daniel had them spared. And this volatile man, Nebuchadnezzar, though, could also be generous. And so he promoted uh, Daniel and made him high up in his government. And Daniel had three friends uh, whose names in Hebrew were Hananiah, um, uh, Mishael, and Azariah. In Babylonian, they were called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he made them like provincial governors, and they all got uh, a promotion. So, so far, so good. But unfortunately, a bad man's just, well, got to be a bad man. And so it wasn't long before Nebuchadnezzar was at it again. And and he builds this 90-foot tall statue made of gold. And he tells everyone that when you hear the music, when you hear the music play, you must fall down and you must worship this God. Well, word comes to Nebuchadnezzar that the Jews are not going to do this. Uh, and they include these three servants that of his who he has made administrators, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he's angry and he calls them into his presence and says, look, you know the rule. When you hear the music, you bow down. And they basically said, no, we're not going to do that because we worship the God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews. And so in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar says, all right. Then I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace and then we'll see if this God you worship is able to deliver you. And that's where we pick up the text this morning in chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not have any need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the fiery furnace, the blazing furnace, our God is able to deliver us and to take us out from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not deliver us, 
We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve the gods or worship the image that you have set before us. And this is God's word for us. Well, that didn't sit very well with the king. And so we're told he took these three men and threw them into the furnace and nothing was seeming to happen. So the king, who's rather volatile, got more upset about it. And he said, crank it up seven times, which, as you may know, in the Bible just means like mm, it's like an infinite number. We're going to get it as hot as we can get it. So hot, we are told, that the men that are feeding the furnace, trying to make it hotter, actually end up getting burned to a crisp themselves. But there's the three men still in that furnace. It's an amazing story to me. And what amazes me is not just the fact that they are not burning at this moment in the chapter. What amazes me is how they could do this. How they could risk it all and walk into that furnace. And I've often wondered... Could I do that? Am I capable of that? And the answer is, I really don't know. And I've been asking that question in one form or another ever since uh, September 11th, uh, 2001. A friend of mine traveled a lot for a living. And I remember in October of that year, uh, we were talking about it. And, and we were talking about Flight 93, if you remember United Flight 93, that takes off and the terrorists, of course, uh, take control of it. And apparently they want to take the plane and crash it into either the Capitol or the White House. I'm, I don't know that we'll know. Uh, but you'll remember those famous words, uh, uh, the passengers form a revolt and they stand up to them. And you'll remember uh, Todd Beamer says, let's roll. And the plan goes into action and there's a fight for the cockpit and the plane is taken away uh, from the terrorists. But, of course, at the cost uh, of, of everyone on that flight as it ends up crashing in a field in Pennsylvania. But my friend said to me, you know, I travel so much and and I just wonder if I could do that. And I remember saying to him, you know, I've known you a lot of years and I guarantee you that you would be able to do that, that you're the kind of person who would not be afraid And who would stand up to someone uh, doing evil. And I knew that about him. But you know, I wasn't really that sure about myself. You know, I wondered if I could go and face a fiery, blazing furnace. Because quite frankly, my track record is is I I turn and run at the side of Bic lighters. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been things a lot smaller than death that have gotten me off course uh, some years ago. Another church in a faraway galaxy, uh, we, we had I- implemented some really positive changes. We were trying to respond to the 20th century and, and moving forward in some ways. And, and, um, and I remember a couple families just, they didn't like the change at all. So they showed up uh, frequently on my doorstep uh, to complain about that with their big flame. And I remember kind of backing off from that. Remember another time in our uh, family, we uh, among the siblings, uh, we get along well, but we don't always agree, especially when it came to things we were going to do with our parents. And and I remember having one position and one of my siblings having another. And and in the face of that flame, I thought, well, I'll just swallow this one and just whatever they want to do that that'll be fine. And then. Some years ago, I, I uh, felt like God was uh, leading me to write a book. And so I wrote the outline and wrote a couple chapters, sent it in uh, to three different publishers. And their response was um, consistent and unanimous, which was no. Uh, 
And, you know, I knew the story of, that J.K. Rowling had like, gone to 50 different publishers for the first Harry Potter. I knew that, but I thought, you know, I don't want to get rejected anymore. So I just pulled it off the table. And I've thought about how the small flames of fear have driven me back. So I really wonder if I could go into a furnace. And I don't know that I know the answer to that question, but it's made me dig deeper into these three men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, a.k.a. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And And I'm wondering, what did they know, maybe that I don't know, that enables them to stand up to these burning flames? I don't guess I know for sure, but I assume it starts with they know God. Uh, that, I mean, they say, look, king, you know, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Uh, if you throw us into the furnace, our God is able to deliver us. But what's interesting is they don't know that their God will deliver them in this particular case. So, you know, I thought they knew God, but, but that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, that was like foundational, but there was more to it. What else could they have known that led them so bravely in the face of fear of death into that fire? Well, another thought that maybe they knew is this. Have you ever considered that it takes more energy to run from your fears than to actually face them? Have you ever ever thought about how much it saps from us to wonder what's holding off over our head and to wonder, well, this could happen or that could happen? And it it dissipates us in so many ways that if we would have just stood up the first time. Uh, then we wouldn't have all this mystery and we'd know where things stand. So, for example, let's say they put cross their fingers behind their back and they go, okay, we'll, you know, we'll bow down when the music plays. But what will it be next time? Maybe it's not in the 90-foot statue of gold. Maybe next time is when the music plays, we want you to bring your firstborn son and throw him into a fire. I mean, where does it stop? You don't know. And it takes so much energy to run from your fear. Uh, that it really hampers us in so many ways. I remember a a woman whose husband traveled a great deal. And this was years before they really perfected the kind of home security system. So her system was this. Once her husband uh, got in the car and drove down the driveway, with all the strength she could muster, she moved the couch in front of the front door. And then she pulled and pulled and pulled and got the, the kitchen table and put it in front of the front door, thinking, well, even if they break the lock... There's going to be another layer before somebody can get to me. Well, one day her husband left and got in the car, went down the driveway. And so for several minutes, she's pulling on the couch. She gets it positioned and she comes back and gets the table and pulling it there. When all of a sudden she hears the key turning in the door, her husband has forgotten his briefcase. And so 10 minutes later, she's able to finally let him in. And fear does that to us. Fear just takes so much much energy. Think of someone that you're not getting along with it with, and you know it, and they know it. And so you determine that I'm not going to face them. When I see them coming down the hall, I'm going to turn a corner. When they, when I get a little pink slip that says they called, I'm going to ignore it because I know we don't agree on this. It takes more energy to do that than just to say, okay, here's the deal. Let's face it and let's talk about it. And I wonder if the three men knew if they ran this time, they would be running forever because if it wasn't a gold statue, it would be something else. And they probably knew that 80% of the time, as you know, the things we worry about, they never really even happen. Uh, uh, Chris Estes, who's one of our teachers with recovery, was telling me he has a friend that said to him, Chris, I need to worry about more things. 
And Chris was like, really? He said, yeah, because none of the stuff I ever worry about ever happens. And I think sometimes fear has that. It just takes so much energy from us when it would be just more, better stewardship just to face the thing and find out the thing you fear worse, get in the room with it, and let's see how this turns out. I wonder if those three men knew that. I wonder if they knew what Helen Keller said more than a century ago when she said this about fear. She said, the only way out is through. The only way that you ever know about that which you fear is to actually face it and go through with it. See, here's the deal. I think it's not God's job to save us from the furnace, but rather we find that God saves us in the furnace. So often I think we pray that nothing will ever happen to us, that our lives will never get rocked by any inconvenience at all, and we'll just sail from one thing to another. And when we do that, if, if should God allow that, we would never really know who we are. And we'd also not really know who God is. God's plan is not to always save us from the furnace, but in this story actually saves them in the furnace. We won't really know about ourselves and about God if we keep running from our fear. At some point, we simply have to face up to it and walk through it. And I wonder if the men knew that. Many years ago, there was a a New York Times bestseller, little book, you may have seen it, called First You Have to Row a Little Boat. And the guy was making his observations that he learned about life from sailing. And in his story early on in life, he actually crashed his boat. And so when he got back in and was able to uh, afford a boat and sail again, the first thing is that he was very fearful that it would happen again. And so he's, he's, he's uh, pulling out of the harbor. He's, he's uh, beginning to pick up speed sailing. And he notices like a mile off, a mile off. Another boat coming, coming toward him, I, I think. And, and he's focusing on which way is it going to turn? Is it going this way? Will I go that And he's so intent upon that distant boat that before he knows it, bam, he's hit some debris and it's put a hole in his new boat. He missed the thing right in front of him. Because he was looking at what was so far away. And sometimes I think fear will do that to us. It puts us in a fog. And, and this event that we don't know how it will turn out. Could it go this way or that way? We fear it. We think about it. And we put so much energy on that. We miss what the opportunities and the difficulties that are just immediately in our path. But if we can face our fear, know how that goes, then we're free to face everything else that comes our direction. I just wonder if the three men knew that. They could have. But here's one thing I don't know that they know, but it's something they learned. Uh, you probably know the story. So the three men get thrown in there. They crank up the heat. The guys that are feeding the heat, it's so hot, they end up dying. And yet nothing's happened to the three men. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and it's like, well, there's not three, there's four. There's a fourth figure, and Nebuchadnezzar can't quite figure it out, but he's impressed. And so when they come out unscathed, he said, look, I mean, I was wrong on this one. I tell you what, nobody in any of my kingdom is ever going to be able to say a bad word about your God. Basically, here's the deal. Three men walk into a fire, and an entire nation of slaves finds freedom for their religion. I don't think the three men knew this, but they would have learned it. When one person 
faces their fear, the person who benefits the most is not the one facing the fear, but everybody who's watching them. Three people went in there and said, burn me. That's what you want to do. And then when three men walked out, an entire nation of Israel had gained its religious freedom. Reminds me of the story of, of Jesus and Peter. You remember when Jesus, they were on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus all of a sudden is coming toward them, and he's walking on the water. And Peter says, gosh, if it's you, Jesus, ask me to come out of the water towards you. Because as, as a good disciple, Peter believes that whatever the rabbi can do, he can do. So Jesus says, all right, come on. He gets out, he starts walking on the water, and you'll remember the story. Then he gets nervous about the wind and the waves, and he starts to sink. But Jesus rescues him, and they get back on the boat. And we're told at the end of the story that because of one guy risked it and got out of the boat, the 11 other people learned something about God, and we're told they all praised God, and they were amazed at Jesus at the end. Because one person faced their fears and risked 11 others on the boat, grew their faith. The people that benefit most when we face our fear are not ourselves. They're the ones who are watching us, who are doing life with us. Um, last night I had the opportunity to preach at our recovery service at, uh, at, at Asbury. And one of the interesting things there is after you preach the sermon, they get 20 minutes or so to talk back to you. Now you don't have that this morning, but they did. And what was interesting was to listen to all of them talk about fears that they had faced and come through. And you could see it when one person would talk about conquering a fear that the other people that were listening seemed to find a strength in themselves. The one person faced his fear of having to apologize to someone he'd hurt years ago, but even people that didn't know that person benefited from that story and walked out of that room last night ready to confess Forgive and be forgiven. When one person faces their fear, an entire group of people will be blessed. When we don't face our fear, then fear retains its power. When we don't face our fear, we don't realize how strong and wonderful God is. And when we don't face our fear, many other people who watch us miss the blessing.